This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The headline over a very thorough story in the Washington Post reads, Moms for Liberty has turned parental rights, that's in quotes, into a rallying cry for conservative parents. Well, this is a national story. Moms for Liberty is a very quickly growing parental rights group. Does the Washington Post or any of the other coverage find any of the religion ghosts that may be lurking in this story? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Terry, in journalism, what's a scare quote? And we've talked in the past about how the media often uses scare quotes around the term religious liberty. Is that happening now with the term parents' rights? Well, I'm not sure scare quotes is a journalism term as much as it's a journalism criticism term. I think you will hear that term used a lot by critics of the media. And and it always goes with this thing, this gesture, which is kind of hard to do through a microphone, where you, you say something and while you're saying it, you hold your fingers up on the side and put quote marks around it, with the air quotes. You've seen people do that. And when people do that, what they usually mean is, I'm not sure this is true, but this other person is saying it. Or this term, like religious liberty, exists, but I'm not sure these conservatives have a right to use it. And it's often accompanied by so-called religious liberty. And the word so-called is just a grammatical form of the scare quotes around it. Now, Battles over parental rights directly linked to religion are decades old on a host of different subjects. I guess most people would identify them primarily with battles over sex education issues. That's something that's been around a long time. The rights of religious groups to be able to hold student meetings on campuses the same as other interest groups you know, with a, a teacher sponsor, et cetera. And you and I have discussed the whole concept of equal access, that one nonprofit or one point of view is supposed to have equal access to the public square, including public schools, compared with others. We've seen these battles in New York City over whether the city can ban churches from being able to rent school facilities on the weekend to hold worship services when they singled out religious groups for that cut, taking away their right to rent those spaces, but they didn't do the same thing with other nonprofit groups. I mean, it's okay to have a secular group that meets to discuss alcoholism, but you couldn't have a church hold a meeting to discuss alcoholism. You see the sorts of things I'm getting at there. The, the key is that this isn't a new issue what seems to be new right now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's been alive for the last two years, what has really cranked it all up, of course, is COVID and all of the things that have happened surrounding COVID regulation, mandates, et cetera, in schools, and the fact that parents would disagree 
with each other on how to handle this <laughs> is absolutely no surprise at all because the public can't decide how to handle COVID and how to handle masks and how to handle the age you should begin vaccinating children and all this other stuff. And then on top of that, you throw in issues of teachers unions and disagreements about that and federal regulations and interventions in some of these cases, and it just gets tenser and tenser. What I want to focus on today is the fact that some of the issues, besides COVID and masks, and there are definitely some religion ghosts there related to things, but in my personal opinion, and this is maybe an expression of my own beliefs, and I have to admit that, I don't see that much religious content right now in the ongoing battles about vaccines. I think there definitely are religious believers who oppose vaccines and who reject them, but it's such an overwhelming majority of mainstream religious groups that support the vaccines. They may oppose government mandates, but they support the use of vaccines that I'm not sure there's as much religious content there as you might think so. But when you start talking about the nature of systemic racism, and when you start talking again about sexuality, and especially about gender identity, I do not think that these are subjects that in the context of modern America, you can discuss in a public school without expecting there to be conflicts that come right down to what people believe in terms of their religious faith and the practice of their faith. I thought that the Washington Post story, Moms for Liberty, has turned parental rights into a rallying cry for conservative parents, was thorough as far as it went, even if it may have ignored some of the religion ghosts or drawn outlines around those. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was thorough as far as it went in letting both sides speak. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it was a pretty classic piece. It was not a hit piece, but it was not all that interested in knowing what I would say the majority of these mothers are most interested in. And this, you're right, this is a piece that focused more on COVID and masks. But along the way, you know you're in trouble when it starts quoting a, a few members of the group or one chapter has... And, and you start picking out, you know they're picking out the worst possible examples they could cite from the viewpoint of the newsroom of the Washington Post of parents doing stupid parent things. A Moms for Liberty chapter in Tennessee questioned whether a textbook that included a photograph of two seahorses mating was too risque for elementary schools. Another one of the examples I liked in the story, people were protesting whether young children should be taught how to spell words like spinal tap because they, they might be too upsetting. When push comes to shove, this story was essentially about race, critical race theory, and about COVID issues. But looming over it with a couple of references were things related to policies affecting trans students. And the minute you open that door, you enter into the whole area of sex education, and you enter into the issue with bathroom fights, locker room fights, trans girls competing. 
against DNA girls, let's call them, you know, in sports. And you get into a lot of things related to that, and there's just no way to talk about that, again, without talking about religion. And a lot of the motives of those people would be rooted more in religion. And quite frankly, I thought the Washington Post avoided those issues because they're, they're so explosive and they, they could come back to haunt Democrats, you know, in elections. I also thought it was interesting that they focused on what's going on with this particular group down in Florida, which is not as much a local story as the center of the school wars with parents right now are all in Loudoun County outside of Washington, you know, in Northern Virginia. That's the hot spot on planet Earth for battles on these topics. And I know that the Post has been covering that to some degree, and uh, I've, I've watched it, I've followed it, and, you know, and seen what they're doing. But uh, I thought it was very interesting that they chose to focus on a group in Florida instead of looking at the very same kinds of organizations and issues in their own backyard. Maybe there's a story out there I've missed, but I did kind of some quick searchings to see what I could find. And ironically, the best story I, I found, best in terms of the most specific story on that issue, was in the New York Times. So to stay with the Washington Post for just a minute, you had mentioned... Virginia. Obviously, there is a governor's race about to take place in Virginia. George Will has written about it in op-ed in the Washington Post. Correct. And the incumbent governor has made this an issue. I don't think he wanted to, but he certainly has made it an issue after comments during a gubernatorial debate. Well, I mean, he, he opened his mouth wide and stuck his foot in it from the perspective of a lot of, of voters. And once again, we were talking about transgender rights and some things that have religious overtones. And, you know, you got into this conflict between the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, raised the issue, I'm, I'm reading now from a, a National Review piece, raised the issue of school systems refusing to engage with parents. And then he, he got into a discussion of a Fairfax County conflict where people were reading, standing up in school boards and reading, I believe this was the Fairfax County case, and they started reading sections of very explicit books, and the um, school board told them that they didn't want to continue because it was disrupting the meeting. And parents were trying to ask, well, is it disruptive that we're reading these things? It's wrong to read passages, but is it okay to sign these books or to have these books in the library, etc.? Very traditional fight between conservative, culturally and religiously conservative parents and a school board, except that leads to this quote from the Democratic candidate, Governor McAuliffe. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions, adding, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. In a subsequent interview, when he was asked about this, he said again, Listen, we have a board of ed working with local school boards to determine the curriculum for our schools. You don't want parents coming in in every school jurisdiction saying, this is what should be taught here, and this is what should be taught here. Okay. Once again, where 
did these conflicts originate? I'm sure masks are out there and people are fighting about them. But once again, I think what we're seeing is a renewal of decades of conflict over sexual education and mandatory sexual education. And parents, whether they're Muslim, Orthodox Jewish, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Missouri Synod Lutheran, I could go on naming conservative groups, that they don't have a right to come in and say, I object to my child being exposed to this curriculum. I would like some way to have an opt-out procedure where they could opt out into a different type of reading or a different set of classes on this one topic. You know, And once again now, can you see the thing that's looming in the background here? What's looming in the background, of course, is religious education and school choice. And to what degree are public schools possible in a nation that is as divided as ours is right now over issues like what's male, what's female, what's marriage, what is sexual harassment, what is, and you could go on and on and on. Terry, you mentioned that you went hunting and found something in the New York Times on this subject. What did you like about it? Well, it was a a story that pulled more of the religious language and history into this. And I may not have liked how they worded some of these things, but they pulled some of the right topics in there. Let me give you an example. I'm quoting now from the article. From fights over evolution to desegregation to prayer, education battles have been a staple of the country's divisive cultural issues for decades, but not quite like this. After months of closed classrooms and lost learning time, Republicans in Virginia are making the schools the focus of their final push to capture the governor's office, hoping to rally conservatives around both their frustrations over mask mandates and mandatory vaccinations and their fears of what their children are being taught. The key there is when you get into what their children are being taught, you jump down a little bit later. I'll just keep reading. Vocal groups of parents, some led by Republican activists, are organizing against school curriculums, opposing public health measures, and calling for recalls of school board members. And Mr. Youngkin, a former private equity executive, has capitalized, seizing on conservatives' concerns about instruction on race and the rights of transgender students to argue that Democrats want to come between parents and their children's education. Okay, that's all worded exactly the way Democrats would want those issues worded. But let me just state it directly the way I heard a high school student here in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, stated the other day. And I I should, at this point, say openly, listeners probably would want to know that my own children were educated in Christian schools. I'm a strong supporter of Christian schools, primarily because I think there are topics in our world today that I, as a parent and as a grandparent, that I can't discuss these issues without involving religious thought, religious doctrine, and even religious figures in the history of American life. And we can get back into that in a second with CRT, if you'd like to. But this student told me the other day, he said, you know, like, why do you have to have like a letter from a doctor and your, your parents and everybody else for your school to allow you to take a Tylenol 
but the school can work actively work with young people as young as 10 11 12 13 can actively work with them on whether or not they are transgender without involving the parents and without in fact being able for the parents to say you know I disagree with the curriculum you're using on this I disagree with the approach you're using on this and I certainly don't want you turning my child over to a local Planned Parenthood to begin hormone treatments for it being the wrong gender. Well, the minute you start talking about that entire second conflict, aren't you really asking, do parents have rights on the raising of their children on a moral issue like that? Or does the school have a civil right to protect this new emerging, evolving gender identity in the life of the child? What gives parents the rights to decide for a 12-year-old whether they're male or female? Well, that's, boy, that's a big, big issue for, quote-unquote, parental rights. Once again, I don't know how you discuss it without religious views getting involved. How do you think the Washington Post, coming back to that, could have explored any religious angles here when they had an opportunity to talk with, well, the representatives that they wanted to share with us of this parents' rights group? Yeah, the thing I noticed was the article, as I cited earlier, gives you example after example of the kinds of issues that some, a few, members of one chapter, these are things that they care about, mating seahorses, etc. But when you meet the leaders of the group, what I kept waiting for was for the reporter to say, what are the issues that most motivate you? What are the issues that you hear from parents that they are most concerned about? And allow the leaders of the group to put those concerns in their own words and to talk about the sorts of issues that unite moderate parents with conservative parents and what makes this such a volatile subject. The New York Times article, whatever you think of it, and its wordings did a better job of pulling some of those subjects up, where if you read the Washington Post article, other than one or two passing references, you would really think that this issue is all about vaccines and masks, and that's it. Oh, and by the way, and critical race theory, and how racism is taught in public schools, which is the issue I was going to mention earlier. I mean, I talk to lots of people who are active in Christian schools, and I know that they use a lot of material on racism, and they talk about racism a lot. My own view is I have no problem with the term systemic racism, because to put it in theological terms, I believe in the fall. I believe that all of God's creation has been touched by sin and the fall and remains both glorious and broken and fallen. So how could we talk about something like racism without admitting that it's a part of the fall of man? But where I guess I would disagree is the belief that somehow the white race is uniquely touched by this sin. Now, I could say historically that might be true in America, but I'm not willing to stop and say 
that that's an absolute truth for the whole world. I mean, there are other parts of the world where there are racism, violent, deadly forms of racism that have nothing to do with either skin color or it deals with different skin colors. And just cite an example of a public figure. Do you think right now that you could go into a public school and instead of the secular language of CRT, which is uh, critical race theory, is a secular theory, which has some powerful religious implications for the fall of man, the doctrine of man, etc. Could do you think you could right now in America you could go in with a curriculum and base a racism awareness class or series of classes or workshop? Do you think you'd go in and base it on the writings of Martin Luther King Jr. at this point? and that that would be acceptable to some of the more progressive elements of the CRT coalition. I know there are conservative parents that might object to Martin Luther King Jr.'s thoughts being turned into a form of curriculum. But, you know, his belief that all of us are created in the image of God and that you judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin— I think you would find a lot of conservatives right now, especially religious conservatives, who would rally around that kind of language and would welcome a chance for that to be used and discussed in the context of public schools. But I will ask again, do you think you could get away with a teaching approach on racism that is rooted essentially in a theological point of view? Well, Coming I'm, from a Baptist minister. I don't think so. I think it would be rejected out of hand as, even though I believe CRT is as religious as <laughs> any philosophy there is out there, I think that if you bring in, especially, as you say, the theological point of view based deeply in natural law, and especially mm -hmm. his notion of justice, is classically Western Christian notion of justice, I think that uh, that would be rejected there. It would be rejected as too religious. Yeah, I think you're right, and that's exactly how I would word it as well. There's no way to avoid the theological content in that point. The same thing would be true if you tried to see, let's say we're going to bring in some leaders of the black church and talk about why they accept some parts of critical race theory and reject others. Now, wouldn't that be a lively discussion, and it might even involve leaders, both secular and religious, from your own community? But once again, you're noting the religious content of the debate. So when a newspaper just hauls off and says, you know, it's an issue of parental rights, whether their children are taught about race, well, okay, taught what? Taught from what point of view? taught with what authority figures helping define the terms and walking students through it. And once again, I, I sadly, I just think we're at a stage in American life where I'm not sure you can do that in a public school in a way that's going to satisfy the strictly secular people who have their rights and have children too, and the inherently fiercely religious people. I'm not sure you can sit them down in the same classroom and say, now we're going to define what a man is and what a woman is. Or now we're going to talk about the sin of racism. 
Well, first of all, you couldn't use the word sin. Do you see my point? Terry, with about a minute or so here, what struck me about all the coverage of Moms for Liberty is how quickly the group has grown, not only in terms of its chapters nationwide, but it was also cited that starting with a handful of people in New York City, that chapter is now 3,400 people in New York City. Yeah. Obviously, this is a movement that's not going away anytime soon, especially since the issues aren't going away anytime soon. And this is also a key demographic for winning elections. What do you expect the political angle to be on this going forward into Hmm. midterms? Well, first of all, it's something where there are a lot of people in the middle of the political spectrum that are animated on this topic, not just the cultural right. That makes it something that Republicans are going to look at with glee and Democrats are going to look at with worry. But my final thought, once again, is, and this this affects how hot this issue is, is voting. The whole structure of the COVID crisis and how that affected people with having to homeschool their children and everything's coming through a screen and now my children are going to school in masks and now we're talking about whether my children have to receive a shot that I'm not so sure about. You have all of that. What I want our listeners to realize is that's the fire now that's been turned up under decades of debates about what rights parents have, especially religious parents and for some reason evangelical Christian parents. What rights do they have or not have in the content of the education of their children? That's a very old issue. It's inherently religious. The COVID era has cranked up the gas on the flames underneath that issue, and that's what we're seeing. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.